We are parents, we are doctors, we are first responders, teachers, and concerned citizens who have found ourselves at a crossroads. We see our freedoms being stripped away and we can no longer stay silent. We are millions strong, united in a thundering voice and imperative mission that cannot and will not be ignored. We are standing up for the basic human right to raise our own children, earn a living, and make our own medical decisions without the tyrannical overreach that has been forced upon us here in California, across the country, and around the world. We are here to amplify the voices, moving the needle, bringing forth truth, and provide education and resources with tangible tools and expert insights. We are The Unity Project, and this is our podcast. I'm so excited today to be joined by Dr. Paul Merrick. And Dr. Merrick is someone that I had the distinct opportunity of of listening to and seeing in person um, speak at the Senator Ron Johnson hearings. I believe it was back in January. And his story uh, was so compelling that uh, I had to I had to get a deeper understanding of what his passions were as it relates to COVID nineteen and specifically how to help the general population. I know uh, Dr. Merrick is also a co-founder of the FLCCC along with Dr. Pierre Corey. So with that, welcome, Dr. Merrick. We're so happy to have you here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what led you to where you are today? Yeah, thanks, Laura. Thanks for having me on the show. So. I mean, I'm a critical care physician. I used to practice critical care. I've been doing that for over 35 years. And I thought that's what I would be doing until I retired. But, you know, obviously COVID changed that. Um, So I I was a full-time intensivist. Uh, I was a tenured professor of medicine. I was the chief of pulmonary critical care. Um, Not to self-promote, but I am the second most published uh, critical care person ever in the world, uh, and certainly in the US. And um, so, you know, I follow the science, the true science, and that's what I teach and publish. So, you know, what happened was really March, you know, February, March of 2020 was when COVID came to the US. And if you remember the treatment uh, as promoted by the WHO, the NIH, the CDC, was really supportive care. And what supportive care means is basically do nothing. And, you know, we knew at that time the mortality in the ICUs in New York was like 80%. And as a clinician, I mean, it's just such a preposterous uh, proposition that you can have patients who are going to die and you don't treat them. That goes against the core fabric of medicine. You have to try something, you have to do something, you have to do whatever you can. So that's when you know I put together the uh, protocol, which at that point was the Eastern Virginia Medical School protocol for the treatment of the hospitalized patient with COVID. And it was based on you know, our observations, it was based on pharmacology, it was based on basic common sense, and basically what we understood of the disease at that time. And, you know, we recommended basically corticosteroids and anticoagulation, and we were poo-pooed, basically, you know, people said you can't do that. And obviously- who was poo-pooing you, as you say? Who, who was yeah, so they were the experts, you know, the, the, the so-called experts, the CDC, the NIH, 
you know, they were, they were all, all, all saying you can't use corticosteroids. And we knew that they were of benefit. And obviously, six months later, there was the, you know, recovery trial, which was not a good study, but it did show that steroids are life-saving. So, well, and I know, think it's, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, because I think this is a really, really poignant um, point that we should call out. You know, going back to you saying um, your background in being the most published, I think it's really, really important for people to understand that the work that you were doing in terms of research and understanding this, not only this disease, but, but many diseases based on your background as a medical professional and an expert, uh, you were doing more research and studying specifically as it relates to the use of, of corticosteroids. Um, as, and in conjunction with um, treatment for COVID-19, more so than the CDC and the NIH, correct? Yeah, so um, for probably up, still up until today, the, the, the treatment protocol as promoted by the NIH was if you got COVID, you stay at home, there's no treatment, you basically stay at home until you can't breathe and you go blue. Let me say that again. The NIH was promoting this, this proposition that if you get COVID, you stay at home and there's no specific treatment and you stay at home until you go blue and you can't breathe, which is completely and utterly preposterous because we know there are at least 20 or 30 um, medications and nutraceuticals which have been proven beyond a shadow of doubt to influence the, the, the course of COVID. But obviously it challenged the narrative. And you know, that, that's what we've been facing. The narrative from the beginning was, you know, the goal to put a vaccine in every arm. Uh, that was their narrative. And anything which, which um, challenged that narrative had to be put down and suppressed. And sure, it's, it's, yeah, no, I'm sorry again to, to interrupt, but it, it's exactly why, you know, it, it was such an inverse reaction, in my opinion. The CDC, the NIH, any other, you know, acronym for, for, the, for the federal government as it relates to medical care in this country should have been seeking out the advice from doctors like yourself and Dr. Pierre Corey and others that are associated with FLCCC, uh, because you guys were the foremost experts. You guys were in the trenches trying to understand what was going on. And it was, to your point, it was a very um, inverse reaction um, and an attempt to shut down what you're saying in order to drive the, the vaccine narrative. Yeah, and you know, we were actually looking after patients, you know, myself and Pierre and Jose mm -hmm. and Joseph, we were actually looking after patients. And so, you know, we, we, were, we collaborated together, we exchanged information, we discussed, you know, we discussed treatment plans and approach to treatment, but we were at the bedside, we were actually witnessing what was happening. And let me say, you know, the, the, the COVID czar, you know, Fauci or whatever his name is, has never treated a COVID patient in his life. So, you know, it's preposterous, you know, he's telling the world how to treat COVID and he's never treated a single COVID patient. And it's as absurd as having a, you know, a flight instructor who can't fly a plane. I mean, that's how absurd <laughs> this whole situation was. And, you know, we had no vested interest. You know, we had no conflict of interest. We were just doing the right thing, what we thought was the right thing and is the right thing. We were treating patients and trying to save lives. Well, you know what you brought up? That's a really interesting analogy. 
I can't imagine that uh, the general public would want to get on a commercial flight if they knew that all of the pilots in this country were trained by individuals that had never actually flown. Uh, which brings up an interesting point. I know you guys at the FLCCC are getting ready to host an educational summit. And uh, I, you know, I had the opportunity to talk to Pierre Corey about this. And I think it's phenomenal work that you're doing. I think it's so necessary because much like that uh, analogy that you just used, we can't have uh, doctors across the country being trained by uh, an institution that has never actually seen and treated COVID patients, much less seen and treated patients that are vaccine injured or have long haul COVID. And so this is why I'm very excited about the education summit that you guys have coming up. Um, so if you don't mind, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So, you know, you know, part of the issue has been censorship. You know, we've entered an era which is unprecedented is that there's no conversation. Science is based on exchange of information, people discussing things, you know, having a dialogue. You know, I was speaking with Pierre, you know, I meetings used to have, you know, what's called a pro-con debate, where you have people with different points of view, actually at a conference, you know, discuss their point of view and you would have a pro-con debate. You know, there's no debate anymore. You, if you challenge in any way the, the narrative, you sense it, you shut down. Even if it's a peripheral um, uh, narrative that, you know, if you challenge Big Pharma in any respect, you know, actually I'll tell you something absurd. You know, Dr. Ben Goldacre did a TED talk on how pharmaceutical industry, uh, you know, alters uh, clinical studies. I mean, this, this was not directly related to COVID. His right. talk was many, many years ago. It's a very good talk. And Pierre and I went to have a look today and it's been taken down. So if there's anything, if there's anything which in the, uh, uh, you know, in, in any respect challenges Big Pharma or challenges what Big Pharma does, uh, it gets taken down. So we have been mm -hmm. silenced. So unfortunately, you know, we're facing, uh, you know, mass propaganda, mass distortion of the truth. So clinicians out there are absolutely clueless. They have no idea. The average physician has no idea how to treat COVID and how to treat long COVID and most notably how to treat the vaccine injured. Um, right. Because all the information has been censored. Yeah, and I think that we're we're going to start seeing more and more vaccine injured, obviously, as they continue to push relentlessly this vaccine agenda, which is such an interesting agenda, considering that you had the CDC come out a couple of weeks ago and, and put together new guidelines, which in and of themselves are incredibly um, contradictory. But I think it was bullet point two said that vaccinated and unvaccinated should should uh, not be treated any differently, but then they continue to push for, for more and more boosters. Um, but as, as we do this, as we continue to see the vaccine pushed through the human population, and in particular in the pediatric population, I think we're going to see more and more vaccine injuries. 
Yeah, so, you know, we don't know how many vaccine injured there are, but I think for many reasons, doctors don't want to diagnose it. Doctors don't want to ask patients. If patients think they, they're vaccine injured and tell their physician, the physician will ignore it and dismiss it. Uh, many of the vaccine injured are considered neurotic or, or, or some kind of stress response. The true reality is that, that the, the number of vaccine injured in this country is probably in excess of 10 million. I think they're in excess of 10 million people that have been vaccine injured. And these people suffer. They have severe medical conditions. This is not, this is not psychosomatic. Uh, the vaccine causes a horrendous range of complications. There are almost now 2,000 peer-reviewed publications describing the injuries that result from being vaccinated. And probably, you know, one of the most disturbing studies was recently published. So most of the data is retrospective. You know, there is obviously the prospective data from the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine trials, but we know they cheated. We know categorically and absolutely they manipulated the data. So we don't know. And then what they did is to prevent long-term follow-up, the placebo group was vaccinated and they did this on purpose. But, you know, there was a very good study done in Thailand where they looked at a whole bunch of children, school-going children who got the vaccine, looking at cardiac injury prospectively. And the result is very disturbing. 27% of kids who were vaccinated develop evidence of myocardial injury cardiac injury, We're talking about 27%. So, you know, the CDC and NIH and Pfizer, when the started said, oh, you know, myocarditis and myocardial injury is so rare, it doesn't happen. You know, it's maybe one in a million. Then they revised it to, oh, maybe one in 10,000. Um, now we know it's probably one in three. So, I mean, it just tells you how common this is. And we, we don't even know the long-term effects of these vaccines. We're just beginning to see them. Um, so, you know, we, we're going to face, you know, we, we had a so-called COVID pandemic, but we're going to face an overwhelming pandemic of vaccine injured. This country and the world is going to be overwhelmed with people who are vaccine injured which presents, I would imagine, a very unique challenge for the medical community, because to your point, um, thus far, the medical community has been lied to. Um, and it's been, as from a patient's perspective, it's been somewhat frustrating, um, even being able to communicate with, with your doctor. Be, in, from my perspective, at least, um, it's it presents a really unique challenge. You know, when you go in and you try to have a conversation with your doctor and say, I'd like to understand about, you know, the vaccines. Can you, can you explain to me how you, uh, as a medical practitioner, educate yourself? What studies are you looking at? How are you determining whether or not these vaccines are safe and effective? And also, how are you determining um, how to diagnose people that are vaccine injured within your patient, uh, you know, your patients? And the answer that, that I consistently get is, that they just believe in the vaccine, which is such a bizarre answer as a medical practitioner. Um, and obviously, I, I would love to hear your response on this. But as a patient, I expect that when I go to my doctor and I ask my doctor a medical question, that I don't get an answer such as, I just think that vaccines are good. That is not a medical answer. 
So, yeah, so it's it's turned science into religion. You believe in the vaccine the same way you used to believe in the tooth fairy or Santa Claus. It doesn't matter if it bears any any resemblance to reality of science. I believe in it, and that's what I believe in. And unfortunately, you know, the general public don't have access to the true information. So what we know is the press, social media, completely captured by Big Pharma. There's absolutely no question. We've now learned that all the major medical journals are completely captured by Big Pharma. There's no question of doubt. Um, so that what doctors read is largely what the drug companies want them to read and it's false information. So, you know, I've been digging into this a little bit and I figured out that almost everything that doctors have been taught and told is factually incorrect and a lie. You know, you can look at statins, it's a big lie. You can look at the low fat diet, it's a big lie. You can look at SSRIs, it's a big lie. The big pharma have been able to lie and manipulate the data to actually, you know, sell their, their harmful products. And um, doctors do not know this. Um, well, isn't it, isn't it the US and New Zealand are the only two countries in the world that are allowed um, to market directly to the consumer from the pharmaceutical companies? That's absolutely correct. And you know, what big pharma say is that they spend a lot, lot on research and development. And again, that's a uh -huh. lot. They, they spend significantly more money on bribing doctors on, on advertising than they do on research and development. Um, mm -hmm. their, their goal is to get, they, they're not there to cure disease. They want patients to be hooked on medications uh, sure. forever. <laughs> the, variants, the variants are actually the best thing that ever happened to Big Pharma because now what they want to do is vaccinate you every six months. This is going sure. to be never ending. So, right. you know, they're delighted that we now have these variants against which the vaccine doesn't work, but most people just don't understand that they are being vaccinated against a virus which is gone. It's like being vaccinated right. against measles to protect you against influenza. It's completely absurd. Um, yep. This current vaccine does not work against the Wuhan variant, which is completely mm -hmm. gone. To vaccinate people makes absolutely no sense. And in fact, the data shows that the more you're vaccinated, the greater your risk of getting COVID. I mean, it's just so preposterous that the more you're vaccinated, the greater your risk of getting COVID, just because these vaccines have so many down, downside effects. Sure. Well, and I'm seeing it in, in my own personal life. You know, I've had friends that are heavily vaccinated and their outcome with this last round of COVID, what was it, BA1 and BA2, um, it, they did not do well. In fact, at one point, I thought we might lose one of our friends. Um, and then conversely, I've had friends that have never been vaccinated, got it, um, ended up actually engaging in the your early treatment protocols. And within 24 to 48 hours, they're completely fine. Yeah. And I mean, I'm actually seeing seeing this in real time. I did read that there was a couple of studies that said right now, current date, uh, that a majority of the mortalities, uh, upwards of 94% of mortalities 
are in fully vaccinated individuals. And I, I know that's um, somewhat of a, of a hard term to define um, fully vaccinated because that's a bit of a sliding scale. It seems like they, much like every other terminology in this country, um, they continue to adjust the definition based on whatever fit, uh, fits their needs at that time. But I, I agree, we're seeing so much um, dire outcome from people that are that are heavily vaccinated. Um, but but going back to that point about what you know, I use the example of asking the doctor about how do they make decisions with regard to vaccines, and if your medical practitioner can only say to you, "I just believe in vaccines," then how on earth could that individual also um, be charged with? recognizing and diagnosing and then developing a, a medical pathway for intervention for someone who's vaccine injured. Yeah. And you know what is completely absurd? You know, if you go to the doctor and he prescribes ampicillin for you, or he prescribes a non-steroidal, you know exactly what he's giving, what the drug is, how it works, what its pharmacology is, what its side effects are. And, um, you know, we, we understand it. When you give him this vaccine, we have no idea. We have no idea what's in the vial. We have no idea. There was recently a study out of Germany from a whole bunch of scientists using very high level technology in which they detected all kinds of heavy metals in these vials that should not be there. So, you know, how can, how can you give informed consent? How can you have a discussion when we have absolutely no idea what we're giving these patients? And you know what more. is completely bizarre, it's really bizarre, is people have looked at the different lots and the lot numbers and the risk of adverse events. And there's certain lots that have a 5,000-fold increased risk of adverse events, whereas some lots have none. So it seems like that some of the lots may just be placebo, and some of these other lots may have, you know, who knows what's in them. Um, it's truly preposterous and it's somewhat much like Russian roulette. It depends on luck. I mean, we just need to look in Canada, in Toronto, there were in a spate of about two weeks, five physicians, five doctors who died from the vaccine, just like that. So, you know, clearly they received a bad lot. And I mean, for, for doctors who are in their 30s and 40s to suddenly die is just unexplained death in young people is such a rare event. And there were five doctors in a matter of two weeks. And obviously no one's going to say it's the vaccine, but clearly it was the vaccine and it likely was a toxic lot that they got. So oh, you know, I, uh, I it's, totally agree. it's a preposterous situation. And so how you can trust what they tell us, you know, they've lied about everything. You know, so the best example of the biggest lie was, you know, they told us that this came from nature and that anyone who, who postulated that this came from a lab was a conspiracy theorist. The NIH, Fauci and his co-conspirators actually wrote a paper in Lancet, really chastising people for considering that this didn't come from nature. We now know definitively this came from the lab. The head of the right. WHO has now admitted this came from the lab. And what's astonishing is that although he admitted it, none of the main mainstream media will even talk about it, will even mm -hmm. talk about it. So this is an example of what people call conspiracy theory actually turns out to be fact. And right. this is probably the same for every single thing that 
you know, the lie they've spoken, people have questioned it. And we, we being, we considered conspiracy theorists where in fact, we're talking the truth. That's right. And, and how can you have trust in the medical environment when you have doctors that are clearly not able to engage in any type of informed consent. And they're just simply telling their patients, take this and trust me because it's good for you when they themselves don't know. And, and to your point about um, you know the mainstream media, we actually have a strategic partner that has three separate vaccine injured children cases in the, in the legal um, in the legal process right now. And it was so difficult for us to get the media to even have a conversation about the fact that these children went to school and without parent knowledge or consent were vaccinated. They were lined up and vaccinated and now they're vaccine injured. The youngest one, I believe is five years old. And this, this is something that the media has an absolute ethical obligation to be covering. And yet they are they're pushing it down and suppressing it as much as humanly possible. Yeah, I mean, there are all of these unexplained deaths in young people. Young people who go to sleep don't die in their sleep. That just right. just happened. And there's been an explosion of young children dying in their sleep, dying playing sport. It's just mm -hmm. unheard of. And so, you know, there's something going on it's very sinister going on and why people are turning a blind eye is astonishing and it just doesn't get the attention in the press that it that it should these are young people right. who are dying oh well they're trying to normalize it i actually saw a tv ad that showed it started off by showing a young girl on a soccer field and then she collapses and it goes on to talk about medical care but it's clearly an attempt to normalize this concept that, that children should be dropping dead um, in their athletics events. In addition to that, in the state of California, they actually have a program going on now where they're, they're training administrators and, and staff at schools to recognize cardiac events in pediatrics. Can you just imagine? Never before would they have had to do that because to your point, it is such an extremely rare occurrence that you would have a pediatric patient that would have a cardiac event um, leading to death um, that has been somewhat undiagnosed. I, it's so exceedingly rare. But here we are today. And I really, that's why I'm excited to talk to you because I'm excited about the educational summit. I, I encourage every doctor at the very least to listen to this event, to, to be engaged and to hear uh, the patients that you guys have seen, the data and the science and the techniques that you guys are developing to recognize and to treat vaccine injured uh, people, because I think we're going to start seeing more and more. Yeah. And you know what? I think people just need to open their eyes and open their heart and just be open to the suggestion that maybe what they've been told isn't correct. You know, engage in a dialogue. You know, we're not always right. But we will get to the truth and we will engage in a conversation. That, that's what civilized people do. You know, they, they're not hostile. They don't attack each other. They have a conversation. And through that conversation, you know, both people learn. And it should be a learning experience. And censorship, censoring science basically cap decapitates science. Science has been decapitated. And when Fauci says, follow the science, it's not follow the science, it's follow his opinion. It's not the right. science. It's opinion-based rather than science-based. And 
you know, it's his science, not what we regard as the overarching scientific evidence. How do you see the world? Well, let me, I'll, I'll distill it down to the, the U.S. How do you see the U.S. Um, regaining confidence in the medical system? You think this is one of the first steps? So, you know, it's a really good question. I <laughs> COVID has shone a, a bright light on a really evil, um, awful, corrupt system. I don't think we're ever going to go back again. How we fix it, I don't know. So what you may not know, it's really astonishing, is that the U.S. is about 5% the world's population, but consumes 50% of the world's prescription drugs, 50%. So big farmers only interest is selling drugs to American and Americans, and they will do this by whatever means they can. They've corrupted medical schools, they've corrupted all the agencies, they've corrupted the federal government, the whole system, they've corrupted the journals, the whole system is bought and controlled by big pharma, and they have so much money and power. So, you know, I was reading the book by Marcia Engel. She wrote it in 2004. She was the previous editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. And she basically left because of the corruption. She couldn't deal with the big pharma corruption. And basically, she, she provides some really uh, fascinating statistics. One of them I found, found mind-boggling, that, that in the Fortune 500 companies, the top 10 pharmaceutical companies together their profits exceed those of the other 490 Fortune 500 companies combined. That's wow. how much money and that's how much profits they make. They are so powerful. They have so much money. They basically do what they want to do. They're basically three lobbyists for every member of Congress, three lobbyists for three pharmaceutical lobbyists for every member of Congress. They spend billions of dollars in, they're the biggest lobbying group. They spend billions of dollars in, in bribing the Congress. And it doesn't matter which party you belong to, they don't really discriminate. So big pharma, it's, you know, the, the, their, their business model is based on fraud. That's their business model. If you look at Pfizer, they've settled like, 20 or more suits for fraud, including a, a settlement of $3.2 billion for outright fraud. That's what they do. And so, you know, it's been there all the time. Uh, how we get back to some kind of semblance of normality, I don't know. I think we need an alternative healthcare system because this one is broken. It doesn't work. It's controlled by pharma. It's controlled by the agencies, you know, even the regulatory agencies, American Board of Internal Medicine, American Medical Association, they're all captured. So there's no truth in, in the system anymore. There's no truth in medicine. So um, this has been a wake-up call for me. I was unaware before COVID how corrupt the system really was. And it's been, it's very corrupt. And I think COVID is just, just, brought this out so you know we need to evolve into a new kind of a healthcare system and i think you know patients need to wake up they need to ask questions they need to take responsibility for their own health
you can't trust your doctor anymore. You know, patients need to empower themselves. Patients right. need to empower themselves to find out what works for them and to um, do what's best for them. You can't, unfortunately, it's a terrible thing to say. You can't trust your doctor. You can't trust the health court system. You certainly can't trust the hospital. Hospitals are dangerous places for sick people. So, you know, we've entered a, a terrible era. I'm not sure what the future holds. Yeah, it's interesting that you cited um, a new medical system. When I was talking to Dr. Corey last week, we discussed that I'm starting to see this kind of organic development of almost two medical systems. You know, you've got one where people that are probably a lot like we are, where they've been following um, really what's been truly happening with COVID-19 and these vaccines and um, the corruption with the pharmaceutical companies and and they you know individuals like us are probably moving more toward this uh, more natural medicine um, and, and and I'm I'm actually struggling to find a way to articulate it because it's more than just natural medicine I know like the work that the FLCCC does and putting out specific protocols for acute treatment of COVID as well as long haul COVID and vaccine injured. Uh, I think those are the types of, of medical communities that we're going to start seeing developing. And then you're going to have kind of almost like your, your, your big box can solutions that, that you see in maybe the Kaisers and the Blue Cross Blue Shield type environments where you have these, these big medical conglomerates. Um, and so I, I just see this division in the country, right, of, of two separate medical systems. And uh, I'll be I'll be curious to see how that all flushes out, um, but no doubt we have to see something change. Um, yeah. So it, you know, we, I can tell you a very personal story, uh, mm -hmm. which I think is an astonishing story, which attests to the alternative way. I, I was a type two diabetic and a hypertensive for twenty five mm -hmm. years. My doctor prescribed me a whole host of medications. Um, I am no longer diabetic. Wow. I've been a diabetic for 25 years. I basically took matters into my own hand. I changed my diet. I changed the way I eat. And um, truly astonishingly, I'm no longer diabetic. I no longer take wow. diabetic medications. My blood glucose, which I just checked like an hour ago, was in the 90s, which is truly astonishing. So, um, Basically, I was misled by Big Pharma. My doctor was misled by Big Pharma. Um, we've, the same way as Big Pharma has controlled medicine, the food industry has controlled what we eat. Most of us don't eat food. We eat some kind of a toxic um, substance, which is high in carbohydrate. This, this uh, low fat is a complete fraud and the data shows it's a fraud. So simply by changing your diet and the way you eat, uh, you, can, you can have a major impact. And I've cured my diabetes. And it, yeah. it sounds absurd, but you know the biggest proof was my hemoglobin A1C, which is an objective test of diabetes, went from eight, which is very high, to 5.6, which is completely normal. And that was just by lifestyle and mainly changing the way I, I, I eat food. 
Sure. No, and and I I 100% agree with you. Um, I am such a big advocate of people really using food to heal their their body. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. In this country, we have an unbelievable overuse and dissemination of pharmaceutical products. There is what's always shocked me is that there's no attempt in the medical community to focus on prevention. Right. And I know, I know I'm not the first person to say that. This is something that, that I've hear, heard across probably the last couple of decades, you know, in various forms where people are talking about the fact that the medical community is just pushing pharmaceuticals. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I too have uh, personal examples in my life of how I've used food to, to heal. And I feel like a completely different person. Um, I've seen it work so effectively, but uh, to your point, it's really, really difficult in this country to do that because whether you, even if you think you're eating something healthy, oftentimes it's actually not as healthy as you think. Uh, so it's almost like you have to, if, if you really want to impact a change in your life through, through food, you almost have to be a little bit of a data mining expert and look at every single ingredient and correlate that to um, how that's that's nutritious for the human body and healing for the human body. But I agree with you completely. Yeah, I think we have, you know, in some ways big pharma has misled us. So has the, you know, the food industry and most people have no idea what's what's healthy and what's not, not healthy mm -hmm. to eat. Um, uh, and obviously, you know, if it says low fat, which is which is probably the biggest fraud. You can be sure it's high in carbohydrate, and mm -hmm. sugar kills more people than cigarettes. Let me say that mm -hmm. sugar is more toxic than cigarettes and has killed more people. And um, the data is, is overwhelming. And you're right. You know what physicians do and what big pharma do is they don't treat disease. They suppress symptoms. They give you the, you know they don't treat your blood pressure. They don't treat your diabetes. They give you medicines that treat symptoms not the underlying cause probably one of the biggest scams is the use of statins i mm -hmm. was on a statin because i was told i was a diabetic and needed to be on a statin so mm -hmm. it's a big fraud because the link between cholesterol and heart disease is hardly exists there's even if you use the fraudulent data supplied by the big pharma in terms of primary prevention Statins do not prevent heart disease. Let me say that again. Although right. most of the studies have been manipulated, the data we have shows categorically that statins do not prevent pri primary cardiac events. Yet, you know, millions of people are taking statins. Yes. So, you know, it, it's become such a pharma-oriented approach to health rather than dealing with, you know, the real issues. Right. No, I, I actually, it's funny that you bring that up. I actually read an article uh, probably a couple of weeks ago, and then I listened to a video about this. And it's exactly what you just said, that a lot of people get put on these statins and they believe that it's going to prevent them from having a heart attack, but it absolutely will not. That is not the purpose of a statin drug. And there's so many side effects. I actually think these drugs are probably... I mean, I would say up there in terms of one of the worst things that we've done and in, in, uh, introduced into the human population and from a pharmaceutical uh, standpoint. Yeah, there's I no question. Remember. Actually, statins increase the risk of heart failure. They cause mm -hmm. coronary calcification. They're really very dangerous drugs. 
But mm -hmm. you know, if you if you say this to a physician or cardiologist, they're going to say, "Oh, you're conspiracy theorists. This is more conspiracy mm -hmm. theory," because they just don't want to look at the science, and they don't realize how the science has been corrupted. The science mm -hmm. has been corrupted by pharma, by um, the medical journals, by the whole industrial complex. That it's very difficult to really get to the truth. But you know, once mm -hmm. you see the truth. There's no going back. You know, you can't unsee what you've seen. And the truth is there for, to be seen. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm so grateful for the work that, that you and, and the entire team at FLCCC are doing. I am excited about this education summit. I encourage every person that's listening to this to go to their doctor, ask their doctor if they're aware of, of you know, the vaccine efficacy and safety. And if they truly understand, and if not, which I suspect that probably an overwhelming 99% of the medical community that's out there will probably have no idea. I encourage uh, patients to encourage their doctors to seek out the information that is being put out by FLCCC and, and the education summit that you guys are going to be hosting. Uh, I, again, I'm so grateful to have you here today, Dr. Merritt. Keep doing the good work that you're doing. How can people follow the work that you're doing, um, both personally and as, as a practitioner and as well as um, at the FLCCC? Yeah, you know, I think what's important, if people, you know, even if they're suspicious and they don't understand what we're doing, have an open mind, look at the data, listen to what we have to say. You know what, just think about it yourself. You know, don't be an automaton, don't be a lemming, just you know, you have your own brain and let them think for themselves, let them make up the decision. But it's very important that they hear both sides of the story and then let them decide. So even if they're skeptical, you know what, I think it would be a enormously good learning experience. It will open up their mind and allow them to have a conversation, you know, have a conversation with their colleagues, with their patients, because you know, that's just so important. So, you know, what I would suggest is, you know, the FLCC is a non-for-profit educational uh, organization. We're not selling anything. We have no conflict of interest. What we're trying to do is empower patients and physicians that, and healthcare providers. That, that's our goal. And, you know, I think knowledge is power and information is power. And people need to empower themselves, you know, so that they can make sensible choices. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. Knowledge, you said you hit the nail on the head. Knowledge is power. And uh, there is no way that you, we, that I would want to go through life with blinders on and have my head down. Um, I want to face life with the most educated approach possible. And that's why I, I really support what you guys are doing. And you brought up a good point about FLCCC. You know, FLCCC is truly an organization that has no conflict. You guys are an organization that from the very beginning was formed to understand COVID-19 and then to develop pathways of treatment for the acute COVID-19 infection and then uh, start to recognize how to treat long haul. And now I know you guys have, have naturally... Um, and kind of organically migrated into the space of recognizing and treating vaccine injury, but you're not being paid by any government entity. You're not being paid by pharmaceuticals. Uh, there's zero conflict of interest, which is why we're so excited to partner. You know, the Unity Project is so excited to partner with FLCCC, and we're such 
advocates of the work that you guys are doing. Um, it, I personally think that, you know, when it's all said and done and we reflect on this in historically in a hundred years, I think the FLCCC could be attributed to saving millions of lives. Um, I, I, you know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with, with a gentleman, a young gentleman, uh, Charlie Westerman, who wrote a book, a twisted history of the United States. And he, you know, we, he asked, you know, we talked about the concept of how history will look at this time that we're going through right now. And one of the things that I said is, I don't know that we'll ever truly be able to quantify the damage that has been done, not from COVID-19, um, but from this country and, and the world's response to it. But one thing that I think we will be able to quantify is that FLCCC has definitely left a lasting mark through saving lives, truly saving lives. So keep up what you're doing, please. And um, looking forward to potentially having future conversations with you about the work that you guys are doing. And we'll certainly keep tabs on it and follow everything. Um, so grateful to have you here today. Thank you Thank so you much, Laura. Dr. Yeah, Mayer. you know, I think this is a good conversation. It's good to speak to people openly. You know, we have nothing to hide. And thank you for what you do, because I think it's through conversations like this that we all learn. I mean, that's the way I've come along this journey is, you know, speaking to other people. We don't live in an island. And, you know, that's that's what makes us grow as people. It makes us grow intellectually and emotionally is, you know, to interact with other, you know, sensible human beings. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. From all of us at The Unity Project, thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope to continue producing content that amplifies voices, strategies, and resources. Please keep in mind that The Unity Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that relies on the contributions of our generous supporters to fuel the work we do in this movement. If you value our efforts, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution today by visiting our website at www.unityproject.com and clicking the donate button. We very much appreciate your continued support and confidence, without which our work wouldn't be possible.